All right, well, good morning. Got a Bible, if you'll grab it, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. We continue our series on relationships, um, how they can be messy, it's complicated. Um, I'll be honest with you, I've had several people that have caught me and said, this series has been great, it's been hard, but needed, and uh, I, I, it is, even to prepare, they're difficult as well when you have to kind of marinate on it for, for a week or so. Um, today we've got a, a powerful story that Jesus is going to tell us, but we've been looking, in case you've been with us or not been with us for, the, for just this week only, uh, we've been looking at relationships and how it's complicated, but it's obviously worth pursuing. That was week one. Number two, we talked about how our words matter. What we speak matters because it comes from the heart. Um, words can be a powerful, powerful thing. And, the, and last week we talked about conflict. It's going to happen. We're going to have conflict and relationships and things like that are going to take place. And, and James told us, don't just point out other people's faults, but it's going to start from what's in your heart. That's where we look. Uh, I had a conversation with somebody this week, and I was like, you know what? It's hard because it seems like all of these things, the scriptures never tell us to point out other people's faults, blame them, just live in your own life and just point at them and blame them, all that kind of stuff. It's a constant looking at yourself, which if I'm honest, it's difficult. A life would be a lot easier just to blame people and be the victim our whole lives, right? That'd be really easy. Like, everybody else is wrong. I'm good. Just everybody else is wrong. Um, and when it comes to forgiveness, the topic and the thing that everybody wants but nobody really wants to freely give at the top of the list, it's hard. I, I, before we stand to read our text, I, I read a story this week. It was kind of funny. It was about a little boy who's at a park, um, and he's sitting on this little park bench, and he's got this face, and he's like, it's like this teeth, you know, grinding but he's tearing up. He's, he's, it's like he's crying, but he's mad. He's like, like just almost looks like, like uncomfortable, mad, bald, like tears dripping. And this older man walks by the park, and he sees this little boy in this park bench. He's like, and this, little, this old man goes, son, what's, what's wrong? Are you okay? He goes, I'm sitting on a bee. And the, 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 the nice older man says, well, just get up. He goes, no, because I figured I'm hurting it more than it's hurting me. <laughs> and I read that story, and I was like, that's so kind of cute, kind of silly. But you know what? That is exactly how so many of us are when it comes to forgiveness. We will be miserable, and sometimes we live it. We won't admit it, but we will do this. We will live in unforgiveness and think, you know what? That's fine. I'm going to live this way, but you know what? I'm, I'm, just, I'm hurting them. Maybe they're hurt more than they're hurting me. I think of the face of the little boy in this story. That's a very good picture of sometimes in our life, if we are living in unforgiveness, that is exactly what it looks like. A life in small-town America of avoiding people, holding grudges, carrying around bags of, of, of unforgiveness in, in life, that is exhausting. And we've all done it. Can I just be honest with you? We've all done it. Some of us, if not all, we're still doing it. You're maybe holding bags of your childhood of unforgiveness, maybe something happened this week or last one, and I'm not saying they're not legit things that have been sinful against you, I'm not even trying to diminish that, but it is an exhausting thing to do that and hold that, and the Bible is going to teach us a very strong story, no curveballs, don't, don't walk out early because this is it, we do because he did. So let's stand together, we'll read our, our text today, Matthew chapter 8, powerful story, I'm sorry, Matthew 18, I apologize, I meant Matthew 18, sorry. Matthew chapter 18. Did I say 8 earlier? Did I say 8? I said 8 both times? See, I said 18 first. I'm just trying to keep you on your toes. Matthew 18, if I confuse you, it's on the wall here. There you go. Matthew 18, 
just keep in mind, right after this, this, this narrative, this is right after Jesus tells them what to do when somebody sins against you. This isn't talking about, hey, I don't like so-and-so. They're kind of like, we're not really friends. Jesus teaches them on how to deal with someone who sins. You go, you talk to them, you do these things, and then Peter, our friend Peter in verse 21, is going to do what probably most of us will do. He's going to have a question for Jesus in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or your translation may say seven times 70. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, that they all be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees and he begged. He said, be patient with me. He pleaded, I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that very servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me, I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants heard what had happened, they began to be greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Should you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master turned him over to, be, to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay it all back. This is how my father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray together. Church, I, I know that forgiveness, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, forgiveness is a tough thing. And it's not a cliche little thing here. Jesus is pretty, pretty strong about it. And right now, if you're willing to do it, if we're willing to kind of cut through the mess and push everything to the margin, if your heart's desire is to say, Jesus, I want you to do something in me and change me, would you ask him to do that? He, he's the only one. I can't do it. If you don't mind, pray for me that I would speak the words he'd have for us today and collectively all of us who desire it will be changed. Father, we're grateful for the day. You've heard our hearts. You know where we're at. Uh, you know um, how our week's been. You know the week ahead. God, we're thankful for this space. I said it earlier in the service, but we're so thankful for this, this community worship time, this corporate gathering time that is set aside to give you our very best. Help our hearts to be receptive. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the word uh, that we don't have to guess and try to figure out by ourselves what we're supposed to do as your people even when it comes to something like forgiveness. Help us to be changed and to live it out. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, to go quickly, we're going to jump right into this, but first I think it's important to, uh, to define what forgiveness is. Uh, just real quickly, it's to, 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 to excuse or 
a, a fault or an offense, or to pardon, which means to renounce anger or resentment. Another definition means to absolve from payment, to forgive a debt, and not, this is important, to not hold it against them. What you're going to hear from me several times is when we interact with people and forgive them, you know what it means? Bottom line, we interact with them and we do not hold the offense against them. It's as if it didn't happen. And you're thinking, that's, that's, that's no way. It's impossible. I get it. It is. I'm not, I'm not tr- trying to up here and just trying to be a cl- like, hey, let's forgive. It's impossible outside of the Spirit of God moving in us. It is. But let me tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying that we're just going to forget about things. God doesn't just, just forget or ignore sin. Some people like to use the Jeremiah or Hebrews and, and say that he, forg- uh, he forgives our sins and remembers them no more. It's not because he has a memory problem. It's because he chooses not to interact with us based upon our sins because of Jesus. So we can't hold on to that and try to twist that scripture around and say, well, God forgets, so maybe you should forgive my sin. I mean, forget it. Forgiveness does not just mean that we got to forget about it. It's also not waiting for an apology. You know why? Because newsflash, some won't. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we wait on someone else to initiate. I'm going to tell you this. I had a conversation with, with somebody in this church, in this town, that was giving advice to somebody else to say, hey, you didn't do anything wrong. They did something wrong, so I think you just need to sit still and be patient. Wait, let them come to you. And when I heard about that, you know what I said? To this individual, I said, I'm so glad Jesus doesn't interact with us the way that you're interacting with other people. It's not right. We're holding on to unforgiveness, and if we're waiting for an apology, and if we're not careful, we teach our kids that, when when they say they're sorry, you forgive them. What if they don't? We still are, as God's people, are supposed to forgive. We'll talk about that. It's not neglecting justice. There's still consequences for crimes. It's not reconciliation. It takes one person to repent. It takes one person to forgive. It takes two people to reconcile. It's not denying wrongdoing, and not just like it magically disappears and ignore those things. No. But it's also not a one-time event. It's a process. It can take months, weeks, years, lifetimes, generations of forgiveness. Forgiving others means we freely offer towards others what Jesus has offered to us. And I think it's worth, as I said a while ago, well, let's get into our text here when, when Peter's going to have a conversation. It's right after Jesus said, that this is what, what you do when they sin against you. This text is not talking about somebody you just don't like. It's not talking about somebody that you think, I think they looked at me the wrong way back in high school, and I'm still not kind of mad at them. No, somebody who sins against you. Violating God's standard, God's law, God's teachings, to truly do something against you, Peter does what all of us would do. After that conversation about sin, I call this the conversation. After Jesus is talking about sin, it's almost as if he does this. Hey, Jesus, Psst, hey, come here. Hey, how, how, how many times? Seven? Seven's good? Seven's right. Seven? This, this moment where Jesus says a verse, or Peter says in verse 20, 21, he comes up and he asks, Lord, how often should I forgive somebody, not who I don't like, not who I just have issues with, who sins against me seven times with a question mark? Peter wasn't crazy. He wasn't just absurd. Jewish rabbis at the time taught that you would do this three times. So he's actually going above and beyond. He's setting the bar a little higher, hoping maybe, maybe Jesus is going to say five. Maybe five's good, got a couple more, then I'm off the hook. Newsflash says followers, we're not ever off the hook. 
Jesus tells them in 22, I tell you, not seven times, but 77. And other translations may say seven times 70. The point is this, be it, be it seven or 77 or 490. The point is not that we forgive when we achieve a certain number into which we say, I've done it all. <laughs> God, you know what? Hey, today was the 490th time I offered forgiveness, and I'm pretty awesome. Kind of a big deal. I'm pretty righteous, if you want to ask me, honestly. I mean, thank you for uh, asking. Um, I'm off the hook. I can hate him the rest of my life, right? I, I'm, I've, done, I've done my duty. No. The point is this. Church, hear this. The point is that self-denying, cross-carrying, spirit-filled followers of Jesus do not keep count. Now, that sounds great for somebody who's mad at us, right? That sounds great for somebody who's, they should be forgiven me. Don't give up on me. But it's hard when we think, man, I don't, need, I, don't, I don't get to the point where I'm off the hook. And I remember back when I preached on unity back in John, which is actually the catalyst for this whole series about relationships, when he, Jesus says, I pray that you're unified, that the body of Christ, and I stood up on this stage, and I've referenced this before, I said that we don't just live in a town or a church where there, you know, I told you this when I moved here. People said, hey, or somebody told me that there's hatchets buried everywhere, and I said, that's kind of partly true. They're not buried, though. Some of them are as D.L. Moody, which is probably where the quote comes from. Their hatchets are buried with a handle sticking up so we can grab them. Sometimes in life, they're not just buried with handles sticking up. They walk around our hands that we freely use against anybody when the time comes. Forgiveness is not. This is where it comes from. D.L. Moody says this. Forgiveness doesn't mean we bury the hatchet with a handle sticking up out of the ground so we can grasp it every time we want. That's not. That's just ignoring something. It's tough. Impossible. I said it before, I think that's conversations that, that, that I've had and, and, and this is why people hide, this is why people leave, this is why people avoid, this is why people ignore in small town America where it's exhausting and we don't want to deal with things that Jesus says and we just want to blame the other people so we don't want to go talk to them and then we want to ignore them, we want to be the victim and I said it a while ago, we carry these bag, bag excuse me, of unforgiveness around and it is exhausting. And sometimes it's generationally. Why are you mad at them? I don't know. My parents hated them. I still hate them too. I don't know why. <laughs> we just do. <laughs> it's kind of what we do around here. We just don't like each other. That's... Everybody struggles. I do. You do. We do. We get mad, angry. And if your blood pressure rises... When you see some people <laughs> in family or work or school or marriages, Satan wants to rip and shred us to, to pieces. Now, in light of this, Jesus is going to take a very teachable moment here. Peter comes up, hey, when I'm off the hook, when I'm off the hook. And he takes us a moment here to talk about the kingdom of God. 23. If you have your Bibles, look at this. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a man who wanted to settle accounts. We've already read it, so you know where we're going here. As he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 talents brought, was brought to him. Couldn't pay it. So the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all had to be sold to repay the debt. He begged, verse 26, the servant fell on his knees. He pleaded, be patient with me, he begged. And I'll pay it all back. 
The servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt and let him go. Let's talk about what Jesus says first about the kingdom of God. You could do a whole series, we're not, but you could do a whole series on the kingdom of God. Why does Jesus say that? He, he starts off saying, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. You think Peter's like, that's not what I ask. <laughs> I need a number. I just want a number. Now you're... But the kingdom of God, generally speaking, if I could just be very general quickly, the kingdom of God is his reign, his rule over all things. More specifically, his reign and rule on the hearts of his people. So you can look at it this way, if you're ready for this. Jesus is saying, hey, guys, my guys, my people, those who live by me, those who call me their savior, those who call me their king, those who say they're going to willfully deny themselves, take up their cross, they're going to follow me, this is what my people do. This is what followers of me do. Jesus, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, those who are going to follow me, this is what it looks like. We see the gospel up front and center. Romans says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We owe an incalculable, impossible, impossible debt that has been paid for by Jesus. There's no curveballs here. The Etch-A-Sketch, let's shake it up. It's cute with the kids, but we've had it forgiven. How dare us withhold forgiveness when we've been given forgiveness? And we see it in verse, you know, 27, where the servant's master said he took pity on, he canceled the debt. This is what Jesus is referring to. Hey, your debt that you can't pay. Scholars believe that the impossible debt of 10,000 talents in today's standard would be about $6 billion. Inflation, let's call it 6.5, okay? 6.5 billion, okay? It's cost of living doing with inflation. 6.5 billion dollars. It's impossible. There's no way. You couldn't do anything, either whatever, to, to pay that. There's no way. So it's an impossible debt. But there we, here we come in verse 27. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And that in today's, I, I used to say $12,000, but let's call it 15, you know, 12.5, 13. Let's call it $15,000. Something that in this time, maybe over a lifetime, maybe could have been paid back. But what did he do? He went out and found this fellow equal in playing field, fellow servant. He says, you owe me this money. And he went WWF or UFC on him, got him in a chokehold, did something like he's trying to submit him, get his money. That's not what we do. The debt that could be repaid, this guy was unwilling to forgive it, unwilling to, to wait, unwilling to be patient with him. After having the impossible debt, it is the gospel up front. Jesus paid for our sins, the impossible debt. We deserve to die for our sins. And he hung on a cross so that we don't have to. Let's set the playing field really, really level here. That's the impossible debt. Jesus is not trying to throw curveballs here, so it's like try to figure it out. He said, I've forgiven your sins. By, the blood, uh, 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 by my blood, I'm going to pay for your sin. You can't fix that, but I'm going to do it. And now you're going to withhold this against somebody else and withhold forgiveness. You see, you see, church, even when I look at the children's faces this morning up here, their faces get it until life happens. You know what their face said when I was like, hey, we should forgive others, but we, we should not forgive other people. They went, oh. Look at verse 29. His fellow servant fell on his knees, begged him, be patient with me. I'm going to pay you back. Look at verse 30. What does it say? He what? Refused. He went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
he willfully refused. Isn't that what we do? Let, let's just cut through all the, 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 the whatever. When we choose not to, we willfully refuse what Jesus has commanded us to do. And according to this story that Jesus is saying, his, his unwillingness to forgive, though having been forgiven, it truly revealed the wicked nature of his heart. An unwillingness, this is where it goes from we got to take our floaties off in, in this cute story and go to this deep end of the pool because Jesus doesn't play around. He's not. He's about to give a story about eternal damnation about those who say, I ain't doing it. It, it would be great if the story stopped right there and it's like, hey, let's forgive as we've been forgiven. But Jesus says, no, you got to get deeper. An unwillingness to do so reveals a heart that has not been changed, a heart that has not been transformed, a heart that has not gone from death to life. It reveals a heart that is calloused and cold. And I'm not talking struggling through it. I'm saying when you willfully and consistently say, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. <laughs> I ain't doing it. <laughs> Look at 31. I wish sometimes the story ended here, but it doesn't. The other servants saw what had happened. They were greatly distressed. They went out and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in, and he called him, you wicked servant. I canceled all of the debt that was yours because you begged me. You asked for forgiveness and I granted it. Shouldn't you have the same mercy on fellow, your fellow servant just as I had on you? Not that, I mean, that's self-explanatory. But for, forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. I almost called the sermon, get off the bench, in light of the child's story at the very beginning. And not sit there and be miserable. Think, I'm not. I'm not. Maybe I'm hurting them more than they're hurting me. With tears down our faces, looking pretty painful, pretty upset. As we lug these bags of unforgiveness around, trying to pretend and show everybody that we're fine. No, we're not. You may be thinking, Pastor, are you telling me that if I'm unwilling to forgive somebody that I might not be a believer? Are you telling me that if I say I will not do that? Actually, I would say I'm, not I'm the messenger. Jesus himself is using this story to say if you consistently and choose to willfully say no after you, your sins have, the gift of salvation is there and you say you have it but you're not going to do this, Jesus says it's not. That's why I joked earlier about taking the floaties off. This is not just a cute story. This is get out of the kiddie pool. Let's get into the deep ends because this is a massive deal. That's why Matthew chapter 6, it's on the screen. Jesus said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse, isn't that what he said earlier? Isn't that what the scripture said? The man, what did he do? He refused. If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. You're not going to hear that in a lot of sermons because that's, most pastors don't want to talk about that. You're telling me, Pastor, that if I willfully say, no, I will not refuse, I will not, excuse, I will not do, I refuse to do it, over and over and over, you're telling me that I might not be saved? That's what Jesus is saying. I'm not talking about struggling and thinking, God, I don't want to. I don't want to do it. Help me, help me, help me. That is a different story. That's a heart that's saying, I don't want to, I'm struggling. I, they, they hurt my heart. They, you don't. That's different. 
That's wrestling and getting through. But to willfully and consistently say no. So at 34, Jesus paints the picture of eternal reality. He said, in his anger, the man turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he paid it, pay it back. This is how the Heavenly Father is going to treat you unless you, have your, you forgive your brother from your heart. And I know it, that sounds harsh, but I, I, I'm, I love you too much not to do this. We're not going to cut the story off of verse 34 because we get this picture of eternal damnation of those who willfully say, I don't want that. Because the Bible says, when you've been forgiven, born again, made alive, transformed, spirit-led, that this is what followers of Jesus do. As we wrestle, as we struggle, and some of us in this room, we may be wrestling with forgiveness and thinking, I know I should. I just don't want to. They really hurt my heart. They hurt my kids. They hurt my family. They hurt this. That's different. That's when God is sanctifying us in those moments and saying, I know you don't want to, but you know what's right. And it works day by day and moment by moment and you're on your knees and you're asking God to work in you and to change you and to help you because you can't go on. You're tired of playing the game and you're tired of avoiding people and you're tired of just being that little boy on the bench and just crying and mad and angry and pretending like it's all okay when it's not. Tell me that Satan doesn't want to use unforgiveness to splinter a church like ours. Tell me that. That's why I read the scripture to the kids, and I'm going to close as I wrap this thing up. Is this parable blows me away every time I read it. Are there people in your life you need to forgive? Are there people in your life that make your literal blood boil because you're just so mad at what they did, said, thought, whatever? The scripture I read to the kids is not just for them. When Jesus, oh, excuse me, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ you've been forgiven. Pastor, you don't know what they did. Let's cut through it really quickly. Pastor, you don't know what they said. You, you don't know. You don't know what they did to me, what they said to me, and how they treated me. You're right, I don't. But I do know this. I do know what Jesus did and what he said. I was sitting down here, and I'm going to close with this quote, but I'm going to tell you this story before we're done. I was sitting down there, and I wasn't even planning on telling the story, but I was reminded of a friend, my, my friend named Tiny, his story. He told the kids a couple of months ago back in the day and about a story about with his dad. My friend, he's a, he's a pastor in, in, in Lubbock, and uh, he told a story to the kids, and I was over there that Wednesday, and he was telling a story about how, you know, his dad left when he was little, left his mom, and left and did his thing, and his mom raised them by, by, their, by herself, and struggled, and did all those things, and it became something that obviously would infuriate a young man growing up, and then not too long ago, a couple of years ago, I don't remember the math exactly, but his dad shows up, not in good health. I believe it's cancer. I believe that's what he's going through, other things. Doesn't have a place to stay. Needs to get some treatment. Needs to do some things. He is on his doorstep asking his son, who he left, left his mother, 
had other things to do, and he went and he did his thing, and he comes back and he's knock, knock, knocking on the door, and he's saying, hey, I don't, can I stay with you? And I remember what he said, because I was there, and maybe some of the students do too. I remember when he, it was this raw thing, what, what Tiny wanted to say, and I don't, give me the, the, the indulge me of, I'm trying to say what he said, but he said he wanted to tell him, no, get it, you left, go. You made your choice, go. We weren't good enough for you then. Go, do your thing. And now you're coming to beg me because you're all sick and you want to be here and you want to live in my house? You want me to take care of you? You want me to do that for you? No. See you. Find somebody else. That's not what he said. (laughs) He's living with him right now. He's taking him to doctor's appointments. He had to make a decision to forgive an impossible debt against somebody that hurt his mama and his family. I can't tell how many times I talked to him during the week and he said, hey, I'm waiting for my dad's treatment. I'm taking him here. I'm taking him here. And I forget that sometimes. I forget about the day-to-day thing of willfully, daily, choosing to forgive, choosing to do that. Sometimes we don't want to forgive people because they look at us wrong, but fast stop. Or, I don't know, hop in. That is Holy Spirit stuff. Now, your unforgiveness may not be that deep. It may be worse, church. But you know what he decided to do? I'm not carrying that bag around anymore. It's too heavy. What are you going to do? See, Jesus isn't playing games, and he's not trying to get us, hey, forgive, forget. No, it's not something we have an opt to do or not to do. As you wrestle, as we may hurt people, we may need to be forgiven. I want you to remember this as I close. Lewis wrote it in a book. He says this, to be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. This is hard. It's perhaps so hard, not so hard, excuse me, to forgive a single injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep on forgiving. How can we do it? Lewis says, only, only I think by remembering where we stand. By meaning our words, will we say them in our prayers each night, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse that means to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions. And God means what he says. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? I admit that this is a uh, difficult message, text. But before we stand and sing, I'm just going to literally ask you. I'm not asking for hands or anything. I just want you to truly sit for just a second. Maybe there are people in your life that you just have a hard time forgiving. Remember, I'm not saying forget or there's not actual consequences. I'm just saying like, you're holding that against them, the way that you treat them, the way that you see them, the way that you avoid them. Maybe today, you might just want to say, I'm going to put that bag down. I'm tired of it. 
I'm tired of the exhausting rat race of life of just, just being controlled by that, of Satan having a field day in me because I can't even focus. I can't even do and go and be things because I'm so worried about what am I going to see them? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? Are they there? Are they all these things? If, if that's you today, whether you live here or not, maybe you're passing through, I don't know, wherever you're at, maybe that's your prayer today. God, let me just put the bags down and understand what freedom truly is. There's no freedom in carrying around bags of unforgiveness, bondage. But there is true freedom of saying, you know what, I'm not saying what they did was okay, but I'm not going to let that dictate how I interact with them or my life. I'm not going to do it. As Lewis said, and we're done, it's only possible when we remember where we stand. We stand at the bloody foot of the cross. And shame on us, shame on me, if I stand forgetting where I stand at this bloody cross and think, you know, I can withhold forgiveness to other people. So we look to the cross, the high price of Calvary for our sins that paid our debt, the impossible debt. May that be the launching pad or the catalyst or the power behind the, the motive to forgive others. Not because we want to, not because we think we can, not because we should. Because it's what Jesus' followers do. I'm just going to give you a second. Then we'll stand and we're going to sing our song. You pray, 